Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1170. It's page 1170. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant. And give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. So this is our second week of Advent. Advent's the season in church life where we prepare for Christmas. It's a season of expectation and waiting. Hopefully it is less busy than the cultural way of preparing for Christmas. It's a time of stillness and reflection. In a few weeks, we'll talk about Mary literally expecting a child. But this week, we're going to focus on Joseph. Joseph and Mary are engaged. And at the time, you did not break an engagement. It was as formal and final a commitment as a marriage. She's living with her father, and he is supposed to safeguard her purity until she goes to live with Joseph. how I feel about purity preservation, too. (laughs) And Mary gets pregnant. And she says she hasn't slept with anyone. She has this wild cockamamie excuse that it's the Holy Spirit, which is just as unbelievable then as it is now. And we're going to talk mostly about Joseph, but I think we need to pause here for a minute And talk about this whole virgin birth thing. Because it's really hard for a lot of us. The traditional doctrine is that Mary and God made Jesus, who is therefore divine and human. It's like a math problem. One woman plus one God equals one Jesus. (laughs) Ta-da! The amazing part about this claim for people who lived 2,000 years ago, wasn't 
the God part, wasn't that Jesus was offspring of God conceived by a virgin. Because that was a claim made about lots of people. Caesar Augustus was said to be a son of God born of a virgin. This was something that was said about people with power and prestige and status. So the part that doesn't fit the script here is that this has happened to a woman who is poor and living in occupied Palestine with no power or status to speak of. For people 2,000 years ago, the radical part wasn't that it happened, but who it happened to, which is powerful and beautiful. And it still may not be enough to answer our skepticism and discomfort with the idea. I mean, how, how does it even work exactly? And if Jesus is conceived in a way that is completely different from any other human being, then how can he be said to be human like us? These are fair questions. Some of this seems to undermine the idea of the incarnation as much as support it. So these are good questions. Here's what I have come to believe. And this doesn't have to be what you believe. But here's what I have come to believe about this. I believe there is no wrong way to go with the virgin birth. That any way you turn with this, there is good news. I think the only interpretation that isn't good news is one that upholds virginity as the highest state for women. But as long as we don't go in that direction, I think there's good news anywhere we look. Maybe the amazing inbreaking of God in a woman's life, giving birth to this offspring that is like none other, maybe that makes your heart sing. In which case, yes. It is a beautiful image of the solidarity of God with the poor. And it's an image of God with us, literally in us. That's powerful. Or maybe you think it's more likely that Mary got pregnant the usual way. Maybe with Joseph, they were fooling around before they were supposed to. Maybe with some other man, and she's already broken the vows that have been made. In that case, if that child is the manifestation of God, well, then what does that say? God is willing to be born in all kinds of scandal and crazy circumstances. And every child is born by the Holy Spirit. That sounds like Emmanuel, God with us. So I think there's freedom here. There's beauty in this any way you turn. Good news. But it was not good news for Mary back then when it actually happened, however it happened. It was a mess. She was pregnant, and she was decidedly not supposed to be pregnant. And that is a horrible assault on Joseph's honor for Mary to be pregnant when she is not supposed to be pregnant. Even if this 
pregnancy isn't the result of infidelity, even if it's because Joseph and Mary were fooling around before they were supposed to, when it becomes public that Mary is pregnant, that is an assault on Joseph's honor. She should not be pregnant before she lives with him. And it's an assault on her father's honor as well. And Joseph has the right in this situation, legally, to bring her out of her father's house and call the village together and have her stoned. That is his right. But he's a kind man. And he chooses not to do that. He swallows some of his pride and decides he'll just break off the engagement as quietly as he can. Of the choices he had, this is the kinder choice. But it still has consequences. It will be difficult, maybe impossible, for Mary to ever make a match again. The baby who is born will have no status or protection. And her father still may choose to cast her out or have her killed to preserve his honor. What she has done getting pregnant right under their noses is so offensive, so shameful for Joseph and her father that the only way they can re-enter society is to distance themselves from her. We don't stone people anymore, thank goodness. But we do have this dynamic where Our ideas or our culture tells us what's right in some way, and that limits us. And anyone who steps across those limits, we need to distance ourselves from them. When someone does something that is abhorrent or just not quite right, we feel that need to distance ourselves from that person. I've been thinking about this in politics, how when a politician, and this dynamic works across the political spectrum, how when a politician makes a comment that doesn't really toe the party line, how his or her colleagues in the party have to turn and attack her or him. Because that person, by stepping out a line from what the party believes, has threatened the integrity and the image of the party. So the only way to deal with that is to distance yourself from this person who said this thing they shouldn't have. That's the only option available. Joseph had to divorce Mary. If he wasn't going to have her killed, he had to divorce her. There wasn't really any other option. If he didn't reject her, he wouldn't be accepted back into his family. He wouldn't be accepted in his town. He wouldn't be accepted by the wider society. He might even find himself going home with this pregnant wife, and there would be no room in any inn. He had to reject her. He didn't have any other option. Culture didn't leave him any other option. Culture constrains all of us in some way. It limits our options. 
Joseph's culture limited him as much as it limited Mary. We don't talk about this very often, but our culture limits men just as much as it limits women, although in different ways. A male friend of mine told me about an experience he had in seminary. I don't know what class this was, but in in this class, uh, they were asked to form two circles. The women formed an inner circle in the middle of the room, and then the men formed a circle around the periphery. And the men were asked to listen, and the women were asked to speak, and the women were asked to talk about what they uh, loved about being a woman and what they found most difficult or burdensome about being a woman. And the men listened. And then they flipped. And the men were asked to talk about what they loved about being a man and what they found really difficult about being a man. My friend said that almost every single man in the room named that one of the difficulties, one of the pains of being a man was the inability or the difficulty of forming close, intimate friendships with other men. Culture limits us because we define so much of manhood around strength and stoicism and self-sufficiency. It's difficult to be intimate and vulnerable, at least for some of us, some of the time. And I have seen people here See, men here make really beautiful, intimate friendships and nurture those friendships with intentional practice over time. And I know many of you have those relationships outside of here. And I think we all know that those things are precious because they're rare and countercultural. Our culture can really limit us. That's what this need to preserve honor or appear strong does to men. It's limiting. One of the men in our congregation has told me that in his experience, anger is the only strong emotion that a man can show in public that is culturally appropriate. That may not be your experience. This was his. But what he's getting at is the way culture limits us and what we're able to express. In far lower stakes, we have discovered this kind of cultural limitation in the world of children's clothing. The dynamics of gender, honor, shame, and strength are alive and well in the children's department at Target. I have a boy and I have a girl. Zoe can wear anything she wants. I shop for her on the girl's side and the boy's side without hesitation. And no one bats an eye. Shopping for a boy is a different matter. It is almost inconceivable to put my son in a glittery, shimmery, pink ruffled top. We do often uh, put Isaac in glittery leggings because he loves them. He calls them sparkle pants. 
And I mean, really, who doesn't want sparkle pants? If they made them in my size, I would wear them. (laughs) But when I pick them out, and we've been doing this for years now, still, when I pick them out, I worry. Because somebody going to make fun of my sweet boy. He used to have pink shoes when he was about two. He had these pink tennis shoes that we loved. He loved. We loved. And I watched older boys make fun of him, laugh about him on the playground. He was two, so he didn't know. (laughs) He didn't care. But they laughed. Because it's not okay for boys to wear a certain color when they're two? I mean, what is this? What is this? Culture limits us. And that's just a stupid example. This pervades our lives. Our culture limits us as much as Joseph's culture limited him. It cuts down the number of options that we have for how we'll choose to act or present ourselves in the world. Fred Rogers is one of the most unquestionably good people that I know of. I loved the documentary about him a few months ago. Watching it gave me hope for the world. The documentary, though, also told the story of Francois Clemens. Francois Clemens played the cop on the show, and he's gay. And when Francois was outed, Fred Rogers did not fire him. He could have. Some people said he should have. But he didn't, because Fred Rogers is a good man. But what he did do was require Francois to stay quiet, to not go out as a gay man, to not present himself in any way, shape, or form in public, as who he was. If he wanted to keep his job, that's what he had to do. This had lifelong consequences for Francois Clemens. Fred Rogers was trying to do the kindest thing he could imagine. He just didn't imagine very far. His choices were limited by the culture he was in. He felt like he couldn't risk being associated with someone like Francois Clemens. He would have been tainted, and the whole show, too. I think Fred Rogers felt like he didn't have any other option. He chose the kindest thing he could think of. That was Joseph's problem. I think he genuinely wanted to do right by Mary. He was a good man. But the only option that he could figure out that would preserve his honor and not make him look weak, that would keep his standing in the community, was to break the engagement. Even though that was going to hurt Mary and have lifelong consequences. He just couldn't figure out a better option. And that is when the Holy Spirit broke in 
Because God wanted Joseph to have more options. More options than the culture gave him. He had this wild dream. And like dreams do, they upset everything. And in this wild dream, he was given the gift of imagination. To imagine a new possibility. Where he could choose Mary. He could choose her. And choose this baby. And it became an option for him. In spite of the shame. Because the Spirit showed him that the shame only defined him if he let the shame do that. The Spirit reminded him of what was always true. That he was free. He was free. Whatever the world around him might say. He didn't have to live by any rule or custom that he didn't consent to. They had options. And there were consequences, of course. He and Mary lived as radicals and outcasts on the margins of society. But those weren't the only consequences. He also received the gifts of life and love and fatherhood in a relationship with Mary that was honest and mutual. The Spirit arrived and set Joseph free. And the Spirit still does that. She blows through and blows away our customs and constructs and culture and sets us free. So the question this week, as we prepare for the coming of the Christ child, is how do you want to be set free? How do you want to be set free. What's holding you captive? Where do you feel like there are just no good options in your life? You're stuck. How do you want to be set free? If you want to be free to wear sparkly pants, well then by all means, the Spirit will set you free. If you want to be free of being a man in a certain way or a woman in a certain way, the Spirit can set us free. If you wish to be free to be vulnerable, no matter your gender, the Spirit can do that, softening us over time. If you want to be free of shame, the Spirit's good at that one. Blow through and cleanse us. If you want to be free to tell the truth, stand up. The Spirit breathes in you. Speak those words with power. How do you want to be free? Because the Spirit comes to set us free. Jesus was at work liberating Joseph before he was even born. That gospel spirit of liberation is still on the move. Opening up the world for us. Giving us new options. Amen.